Hello and welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. I'm Sarah Morris and on today's episode, I sit down with the members of the G5 staff, Lieutenant Colonel Joshua Daly, Major Stephen Riley, and Captain Jack Meeker. In this episode, we talk about planning, how the Washington Army National Guard developed their strategic plan, and how they are measuring success and adjusting the plan as they go. If you are interested in the strategic plan, a link to the document is in the show notes. Enjoy! Bigfoot country is earthquake country. If an earthquake were to happen right now, what would you do? When you feel the ground shaking, drop, cover, and hold on. Do not run or you may be injured by things falling. Remember, if you are near the ocean, the ground shaking is your warning that a tsunami may be coming. After the shaking stops, move to high ground and stay there. Make sure to listen to local emergency officials. Have enough supplies to be self-sufficient for two weeks after a disaster. For more information about earthquakes in Washington, visit mill.wa.gov preparedness. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Okay, so today I am joined with the G5 staff for the Washington Army National Guard, and um, we're going to talk about the strategic plan. So if you'll go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi, good morning. My name is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Joshua Daly, and I'm the G5 actual. Uh, Spent some time uh, in the brigade and time on active duty prior to this point, and I'm a SAMS grad. I'll pass it off here to uh, Major Riley. Hey, I'm Major Stephen Riley. Uh, I'm an armor officer, spent a bunch of time in the brigade, also at 205th, uh, and uh, happy to be working strategy with Colonel Daly. And I'm uh, Captain Jack Meeker, uh, currently M-Day commanding at Alpha 181, and then full-time I function as the G5 deputy. All right, great. So let's start off with what is the G5? Let's talk planning. Well, first, we appreciate the opportunity to uh, discuss what we do and kind of this whole new adventure that is the G5 and long-range planning. So the the group of people we have here combined is about 46 years of experience um, on in the guard and on active duty. So we small shop, but have a lot of a lot of good experiential data to draw from. Uh, the strategic plans portion of the G5 is really focused on looking at our long-range options and end states for where we want to be as an organization. This is a relatively new endeavor. Uh, it's something put together by the the new CG, General Dent, and the previous chief of staff, uh, Colonel John Bettle. And it was a way at getting after some of the challenges that we foresee coming down the line uh, as the war on terror has come to a close, budget crises and changes are coming down, new administrations are coming in, and a constant uh, fight for force structure and relevance uh, of the National Guard. But in short, we provide long range strategic planning and and provide an avenue to think about what we want to be in the future. Uh, And that's really gonna be the primary topic of today's podcast from our perspective is what do we provide and what are some of the products, how they fit together and and how these pieces came together. Uh, Beyond that, the G5 section also is the local reps for the the National Guard Business Transformation Office uh, Integrated Management System. So DA and National Guard Bureau have this idea of taking civilian business management processes and changes from the civilian sector, bringing them into the military sector to reinforce how we do business, change how we do business to be more efficient. Provided a lot of guidance to the civilian sector about how to manage supply chains and how to manage processes. But now the civilian sector is doing so well on their own that they're backfeeding into into the military. So we're the local reps for that. 
We're also the Army reps for the continual process improvement. Uh, this is utilizing things like Lean Six Sigma, uh, Baldridge, uh, Agile, Scrum, uh, business process reengineering uh, tools that we can use to, to better improve our internal processes. We facilitate operational planning teams and working groups for complex ill-structured problems. We had the pleasure of working on COVID early on when it was a very new thing at the beginning of last year to try to get an understanding of what it might do to our operational environment and where the guard could have some role in it. That's where most of this group originally came together. And the first time I met Jack Meeker over there, and then we act as the point of contact subject matter experts and really shepherd the uh, FA-59 strategist area of concentration, FA-49 ORSA, which is operations research and system analysis, and are a single point of contact for the School of Advanced Military Studies uh, programs, in which there's three programs there. But for those senior officers, senior captains through junior lieutenant colonels that are interested in either going that route or have not gone and done their ILE AOC yet and want to do that as a resident in combination with a potential additional year as a STAM student. And if, uh, if I may, sir, uh, translating that uh, for people who uh, maybe aren't familiar with a lot of these terms, basically what we're trying to do here is help the Washington Army National Guard do better. Uh, do better uh, in our rankings uh, nationwide, do better for our soldiers here at home, uh, just try to do a better job continually so that we're, you know, always better today than we were yesterday. It's basically what we're doing. Absolutely. And as the um, full-time uh, deputy G5, a lot of that, what Colonel Daly is referring to is the integrated management system kind of falls under my purview. That's the process improvement, organizational assessment, stuff like that. We're really just starting to get those programs off the ground, uh, but it's something that it's just tools. We have tools that we can help leaders. Uh, all, every leader, most manager and really good followers all do process improvement naturally. They look at how are things going? They look at how can we make things better? Um, all the Lean Six Sigma and some of these other frameworks do is give us some, some tools and some science to take that effort and multiply it, right? And make it more effective. Uh, so we'll talk more about process improvement and nominating projects and things like that down the line. Uh, but we've got, you know, green belts that we can help facilitate through some of these projects uh, for that, what Major Riley was talking about, kind of improving the organization. Awesome. So that, I guess, segues us straight into the all-encompassing question of what is strategy? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, and ask three people, you're going to get five answers. <laughs> if that, I don't that, get at least 12 answers, I'll be disappointed. Challenge accepted. That, that's, a, that's perfect because that really is the heart and challenge of strategy. So in a nutshell, strategy is the difference between you driving your organization or the organization being driven by external forces. Uh, you, you most commonly hear strategy being discussed as ends, ways, and means. Well, what does that mean? Right, well, an end is an objective you want, a way is an is a action you're going to use to get there, and a means is the tool you may use to make that happen. But there's a large challenge within the Washington National Guard and any National Guard state. And it's different than active duty or the reserves. Um, many people think strategy, they immediately think of Napoleon or Moltke or Clausewitz or, or Patton, Rommel, you know, all these grand military strategies, Alexander. And there is a, a component to military strategy in what we're doing here. For those who have graduated the war college or have, have looked at some joint planning, um, there is an understanding of how the guard, the Washington guard in particular, interplays with on the net, how it plays with the national stage and where its role is in the larger construct known as the army. Uh, but also we are kind of a country unto ourselves. Every state has its own political sphere. It answers to the governor. It, it has its own concerns. It's almost like its own unique army and, and how the Oregon National Guard or Wyoming National Guard or Florida National Guard run their organizations is similar, but also their processes are oftentimes distinctly different because of the autonomy that's granted towards each state. And the in the unique problems that each state faces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and what their political yeah. leaders may find mm -hmm. more important or, or less mm -hmm. important at a given time. Um, and I think we've seen that in, in droves with, with COVID as an example. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, what, what does that mean? Well, we have to, we, we started to go down the path of looking at strategy. We realized military strategy alone wasn't enough to answer a, a guard state's unique problem set. 
because we have such a wider array of, um, of requirements. And most importantly, we have to hunt for our own food, meaning every soldier we have, we have to recruit or retain. We don't have this giant recruiting apparatus like the guard or the, excuse me, the reserves and the active duty do uh, to make up losses and you don't really have to worry about it. Yeah, they're concerned about retention, but there's always somebody else kind of working that angle. So in a lot of ways, we're like a business where instead of the bottom line being dollars, the bottom line is strength. And when you are in the black with strength and you have more than you know what to do with, you have a lot of options available to you, right? In terms of who you send to a deployment or how you do force structure management or how much risk you take in deciding what you're going to do with National Guard Bureau or DA. When you're in the red, when you don't have the strength goals that you want, it's, it's much like not having enough money on the civilian sector. You are severely constrained as to your options and you have to get back out of the red into the black getting your force structure where you need to be, or excuse me, your, your strength where you need to be so that you can get back to that, that freedom maneuver that you're looking for when you want to do some really interesting, neat things. Otherwise, as we continue to be low on strength, we have to take from different units to build you know, composite units to go out and say, fulfill a federal mobilization. So you can think about our end strength as kind of our, our bottom line currency in the civilian sector. And what that has driven us to do is go out and look at civilian strategic uh, manuals and and ideas and concepts and there's a whole <laughs> plethora of books written and they all basically they say the same thing right create your vision you know uh, establish an end state look at yourself and be self-reflective but looking at how the civilian sector looks at quote-unquote strategy and trying to marry that together with what we call military strategy into some sort of Frankenstein hybrid of, of, of a National Guard state strategy. And, and to that end, uh, I, I think we've been fairly successful at our, our first um, uh, go at that. Yeah, something that you said there, Colonel Daly, uh, wanted to reinforce that, that metaphor uh, where end strength is the same as money. You can think of it just in your, your personal life as an individual. When, when you're in debt, when you're in the red, uh, everything you do is about trying to get out of debt. But when you're cash flow positive, you know, when you're making more money than you're spending, you have all sorts of options. You could go to Disneyland. You could invest in your children's, uh, you know, college fund. Um, you just got you got all sorts of options. And, and we are held to the same kind of standard. If we're in the red with recruiting, for example, um, the, the higher headquarters we have, National Guard Bureau, Department of the Army, they're just not going to give us the options that we would like to have. Um, whereas if we can demonstrate that, um, you know, we have great end strength, we're in, we're in the positive, um, we end up getting a whole lot more options uh, to play with. And that translates, frankly, to just great opportunities for our soldiers, um, additional schools, additional kinds of units for them to enlist into. Uh, it's definitely the, the goal. We want to be in the black because we want, we want all that, those great options. But we are in competition with our neighbors for that kind of thing just like the United States is in competition with uh, with nations around the world for resources and stuff. Uh, the metaphor really does work up and down the chain. And I think that it also reinforces um, one of the truisms when people talk about strategy is a strategy isn't something that you win. Mm, yeah. But you can certainly that. lose it, right? Um, but there's no finish line for strategy. There's no, okay, we got it, guys. We hit the number and now we're set, right? Um, what it is, is a, it's an, it's a process that you have to go through over and over again and constantly reevaluate, but you can lose it. And what losing it looks like is, you know, um, my kid's huge fan of Thomas the Tank Engine. Think about a train. If the engine is waggling a lot, right. And going back and forth. Well, the caboose is going to feel that 10 times more. Right. If we don't have a vision of something that we're going towards. Right. Um, you think about for land nav, Right. If I don't have that you know, tree that I've marked as the thing that I'm going towards. Well, it's very easy for all of the effort, all of the energy that all the dedicated men and women of this formation is putting in to be going in different directions and sometimes actually working across purposes. Right. So facilitating the messaging of the general saying this is where I want to get to. This is what's important to me. Winning use is important to me. End strength is important to me, right? That is one of the primary uh, jobs of the strategist. But then also facilitating those ways and means, right? Um, and making sure that we're doing it from a data-driven perspective, right? Uh, we talked about end strength. End strength is one of the metrics, and it's one of the key metrics that, that General Dent uh, has us focusing on, 
right? Uh, but it's informed by a whole series of other metrics, oh, yeah. right? Things like, are we paying people on time? Are people satisfied with where they're at? What do our command climate surveys look like? All of these things feed into whether or not people choose to stay in the formation. And so that's where that joining of military strategy of, okay, I need this end strength to do these things in this operational environment, but then business strategy of how do I handle those day-to-day -day tasks and the management side of things comes in. Your, uh, your analogy there, Jack, about uh, land nav is awesome. Uh, you know, you, you, you like that better than the Thomas the Tank Engine? I, I do like that one okay, better than yeah. the Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, <laughs> I've uh, watched a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine with my son, too. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, we, you, you, uh, when you're heading for a point in land nav, you, uh, you've got an azimuth that you're on. Um, and let's say your point is a, is a full click away. You don't just say, well, okay, this is my azimuth. I'm going to start walking and then never look at your compass again or never look at the, you know, the terrain pace association count. point that you've done or your pace count, right? You are constantly checking yourself, constantly reevaluating um, uh, your, your distance and direction. Um, and that's, that's what we mean by the data-driven aspects. Um, in order to make sure we're staying on azimuth, you've got to keep measuring what, uh, you know, your progress that you're making. Um, there's a guy, uh, the father of modern quality, they call him, uh, Edwards Deming is his name. Um, he invented total quality management uh, back in the, the mid 20th century. Um, he, he always used to say, what gets measured gets managed. He also used to say that without data, you're just another guy with an opinion. And uh, that's one of the things we take really seriously up in G5 is we don't want to be, you know, just another guy with an opinion. We want the data. We want to make sure that we are achieving the commanding general's vision. He's given us the azimuth. So let's all work together to keep uh, checking our progress against that azimuth and making sure that we hit our point in the first try. But but data shouldn't be scary, right? Mm, no, data's just, point. yeah, that's yeah. a great point, sir. Yeah. It's just, data's just helping you get to your your uh, your point. The, the initial reaction on in any organization when you first apply data is to think, oh, I'm, I'm being, Big Brother is looking at what I'm doing. And, and that's a totally normal human reaction to data. But we like to think of data like a, a scoreboard for a football game, right? You have to have a measurement of whether you're winning or not. If, if the efforts you're putting in, the training, the, the conditioning, the selection of the team, the, the plays you're playing, the one in the, in the sequence that you're playing them, if all those things are combining into moving the organization forward in some way, so data in a way becomes our scoreboard. It's a way to say, yeah, we are we are moving the right direction and we are, quote unquote, winning. Absolutely. And really, I, I, you know, moving on to the next piece here is this is really a blending of, of the ideas of command and control. You know, the ADP 6.0 has brought back command and control. Many people have heard mission command, but what we're trying to do is marry the science of control. So the data, the processes, repeatable processes and, and pieces so that it produces a consistent result that soldiers can rely upon uh, with the art of command, the experiential understanding of where we're going in the future. So, hey, have we tried this before? We've had some issues with it. Is there a way we can make this particular thing more impactful or better? Or we have to take a knee on some things we want to do because the, the nature of the reality that we're in forces us to not do the things we want to do. Merging those two things together to enable commanders to maximize their options uh, when they're faced with complex ill-structured problems like how do you respond to COVID or capital riots or retention issues. Okay, I'm going to cut you off because uh, as I mentioned to you guys before, I recently finished my operational art uh, portion of ILE and we're talking a lot about strategy, a lot about ends, ways, means, and how that presents itself in all its different facets, whether it's in the military or in the the business world, but what we're missing, I think, is risk. Sure. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so what what are what is the risk that we're weighing when we're doing this strategic planning? Because obviously that's the biggest consideration for commanders most often. What a great question. Yeah. That is a fantastic question. Anybody want to take a stab at it before I go after? Oh, uh, so here I'll uh, as the uh, as the resident M Day guy here, um, I, I will reinforce what you said there, Sarah. The uh, risk management is such an important part of any of these uh, strategic goals that we have, of the different ways that we could achieve those strategic goals and the specific means that we choose uh, to uh, employ you know, to achieve these strategic goals. And in the business side, 
it's it's the same way. Um, I love what I've learned in the Army about uh, proactive risk management, and I've taken that back into my civilian job. Uh, in in every you know business plan that I work on, every project that I work on, always conduct a deliberate risk assessment of uh, of what's going on. So um, risk here in the G five. Um, you cannot divorce, <laughs> you cannot divorce risk from any of the levels of the strategic planning that we're doing. And we must take it into account very deliberately at every level. Um, I don't think there's an overall, you know, uh, a single risk assessment for any of the plans that we're doing. We need to be looking at risk for every single aspect of what we're doing. And there are some key principles that we try to really stick to in here, which is, mm -hmm. Okay, if we're gonna suggest some, let's say we're working on, an, we're facilitating an OPT for somebody else, right? Um, and they say, well, we're thinking about doing these things, right? That's an operational also, planning team. Sorry, yep, thank you. Score at home. So, um, so, but let's say we're, we're helping somebody else because they've asked us with, with a complex problem or something like that, right? So, okay, hey, we've got these three things that we wanna do, right? We may also look at, well, what's the risk of doing nothing? Yep. What's the risk of staying the same? That's always a co-op. This always. organization, has done some outstanding things over the last 10 years, right? In no way, shape or form does General Debt want to stop any of that, right? What we wanna do is build on that, amplify that, amplify some of the things like what uh, the G2 is doing with career management, right? Um, the, the way the G3 is kind of getting ahead of the, the five-year DOMOPS plan, things like that. Mm -hmm. Take those things and when we talk about combining those efforts together towards a single vision, right? We have to look at, okay, what is, what is the potential gain of those things Vice the risk, and is there a risk if we don't do those things? If we just let it can you know continue to go in, in its own direction? Mm -hmm. I will add one more thing that we rarely talk about in uh, military risk assessment, but is absolutely critical in the business side, and that is the opportunity cost. That is part of of a risk assessment when we're using our our resources to do something. Um, they can't be used to do something else. And, you know, give you a specific example that we unfortunately had to face in 2020. The same troops that we needed to help the citizens of Washington in the COVID pandemic were also uh, slated to go to NTC. And so we had to make the hard decision, not we G5, but we, the Washington Army National Guard, we had to make the hard decision um, that you know, we couldn't do NTC because we needed these troops at home to help with uh, pandemic support. Mm. The opportunity cost of of doing pandemic support was NTC. And so that's something else that we take seriously in uh, in risk assessments with all of the strategic planning is if we decide to do one thing, does that prevent us from doing other things that we'd like to do? And what are those trade-offs? And uh, you know it's it's why the commanders get paid the big bucks. They they have to figure out which of these uh, approaches to use, and, and that's challenging. And I would say, from a doctrinal standpoint, you know, you look at elements of operational art. The number one operational risk element there is culmination. Right, a staff's job is to enable as many options for a, a commander to a achieve their vision, but b most importantly, plan when you're going to culminate because you will always culminate at some point, whether Culminating it's meaning like running out of stuff, right? You, you, where you're, you, what you want to do is no longer your choice, whether you're a brigade mm. fighting and you need to refuel, the attack stops because you need fuel and you burn through all of your, your echelons of, of fuel, of a uh, uh, fuel supply. Mm, yep. So what you want to be able to do is plan when that culmination occurs so that you continue to shape the next phase of the operation. Well, in our, you know, everyday guard operation, Soldiers' time is finite. Soldiers' ability to be away from their family and their employers is finite. And they culminate with their feet by saying, I no longer want to be in this organization because you're asking too much of me. So it is a balance, right? Not saying that's happening now. What I'm saying is, is that that's always a concern, and that risk can only be assumed by that commander. That's why we have commanders. So it's up to the staff to be able to articulate the risk, be able to analyze it with data and say, we believe based on this data that if we do COA A versus COA B versus COA C, or we continue to do the COA that we're on, course of action that we're on, we may find ourselves in a position of diminishing returns where we may do the opposite of our goal, which is increasing end strength and may diminish end strength. And where there are opportunities, if we can have to continue to run at that operational tempo or personnel tempo, where we can make some gains uh, along the way. That's 
you know, that's interesting, sir. Uh, is that that kind of decision making and risk assessment actually does go all the way down to the individual soldier? Um, that that whole concept of you know voting with their feet uh, via retention, um, all of us, uh, all of us M days uh, specifically, um, we don't just have a work life balance that we have to maintain. We actually have a work a work life guard balance. It's a three way thing, and uh, you know in the strategic plan, uh, the general talks about this as the soldier welfare triad. Um, but it's it's a really important thing for us to think about. Um, I have to conduct a risk assessment. You know, every month I go to drill, I have to be thinking, okay, what is the impact on my family that uh, you know is going to be back home while I'm here? When I go to AT, I, I have to think about that. You know, are my wife and son set up uh, to be okay and handle any kind of emergency while I'm gone? Um, and we all have to decide personally at what point. Um, you know, is maybe my job too much, so I go find a new job? Or, you know, is the guard too much, and do I need to not participate in the guard anymore? Um, and that's a, you know, it's, it's a tough decision-making balance you have to do, and I, I respect every service member in the National Guard uh, for having to, uh, to make that, that difficult choice and maintain that difficult balance. We all know how tough it is, uh, but that, that concept of risk assessment, you know, we need to recognize goes all the way down to the individual soldier and just with their participation in the National Guard. And schools are included in that too. Schools, oh, absolutely. Especially when yeah. we have soldiers that, that join for the GI Bill or yep. for tuition assistance and yep. then they have a hard time being able to attend the courses. Absolutely. Yeah, I just did an exit interview with a soldier um, who was ETSing out of my company uh, a little while ago and that was one of the things we talked about was, hey man, I, I joined to do school. Um, and then the the impact of the guard on my schooling was actually overall a, a pretty significant negative, right? Still stuck through it because the pay and the, the tuition assistance that came along with that was worth the, the, the sacrifice. But then as soon as that school was over and he was starting to build his career piece, he said, hey, man, I need to step out, right? Um, we were able to actually talk to him about the ING and, and using that as a tool um, mm -hmm. so that he was able to then focus on building his career and then come back. But uh, but that kind of thing, uh, the general's given us a really solid framework for risk assessment in that soldier welfare triad in the uh, in the strategic uh, plan there of, okay, when we're thinking about soldier-centric planning, which is one of the Rainier Six values, um, you know, that's a way of looking at that. Okay, what is going to be the impact on our mission, right? What's the impact on the soldier's relationship with the guard? What's the impact of the soldiers, uh, you know, on their family and then their civilian career as well? Yeah. So back to you, perfect. sir. Well, I think that's the perfect segue into what is the Washington Army National Guard's strategic plan? What What is it? What does it look like? How does it work? Can we first say where to find it? Oh. Well, I mean, I think that that's a good jumping off point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Wanna, uh, we have it online uh, for everyone to be able to see. What's the URL, Jack? And sir, will you be able to put that in the show notes as well? Of course. Awesome. So the link will be there, but uh, for those who are following along and want to type it in, right, it's actually mil.wa.gov slash army dash guard. And you will find the strategic plan. At mil.wa.gov slash army dash guard. It's externally facing. It's accessible to the entire world, right, including our, including our competition. And it's in a couple of different formats. And you, there's a few products that you're going to see. You're going to see a abbreviated version in a booklet form. That's really for employers and family members and junior soldiers. There's a more robust about 27 page uh, specific version called the Strat Plan Full. There's a commander's reading list, right, as well, so that we can kind of get on the same page. There's one other document, isn't there, that I'm, that I'm missing? There's a reading list, the vision documents, or the uh, outlines, the, the, and the vision documents. Yeah, yeah and, the, and then there's the vision document, which uh, the vision was document was the first thing that we came up with. And sir, if it's all right, I'd like to kind of talk about how we how the process came together. Yes, sir. What that's fine with me. Yep, super. So when we started the G5 back in January of last year, right before COVID became a thing, because that happened in February, uh, we were talking about how the new commanding general, General Dent at the time coming in and replacing General Turner, wanted to shape the organization towards his goals. And one of the initial discussion points was, well, we need kind of a guard vision. We need to kind of 
build some organizational values. At the time, we didn't call them organizational values because we weren't quite sure where they fit in. But they really became, after reading strategic manuals and, and publications, our corporate organizational values. And those are soldier first, which is what you do, right? What a, being a soldier first means that you, and this often gets confused with soldier centric, so I want to take a time to hammer on this. A soldier first means that you take care of all the basic soldier tasks that enable you to deploy and be a, a, a productive soldier. You take care of your, your height weight, you do APFT, you go to the schooling when you, you can, you uh, do your IWQ, you take care of your family care plans, and you make yourself reasonably available uh, to do to come on orders when necessary and to, and to do your job and prepare for IDT and ATs. Uh, Soldier-centric is about what the organization does for the soldier. It's really about how the bureaucracy all the things, all the processes and all the pieces that make the machine go should look at how they do their day in and day out operations. Meaning when we do a new process, what does it look like through the lens of the soldier? Are we doing a process that makes it better for the soldier, is neutral to the soldier or is damaging the soldier's perspective? So this is kind of the command's promise back to the soldier of what we, of how we're gonna change processes and how we should manage processes to be effective there. Um, brilliance in the basics. This is our approach to training, right? Brilliance in the basic, basics, brilliance in the basics rather, is basic blocking and tackling, right? If you want to be a football, a good football team, you need to know how to tackle. You need to know how to pass. You need to know how to block. You need, need to know your basic um, formations. You need to know the rules of the game, right? And we got to be good at that. Leader development at Echelon is the next one. How do we build our leaders? And this is a combination of the triad, right? There's on-the-job training, individual learning, and PME, professional military education. It's not enough to just go to the schools the Army tells you to go. It's not enough to avoid the schools and just do the training that you get from your experience one week in a month, two weeks a year, but also are you doing self-study? You got to do all three of those things. And we want to create opportunities with broadening assignments and KD assignments and schooling to maximize leader growth. Uh, next one's discipline initiative within intent, meaning commanders and leaders at all levels have maximum latitude to attack a problem the way they see fit within the limits of their span of control, right? As long as the end state and the intent of hire is being met. And then the last one is build winning units. We are in competition in everything that we do. We are in competition externally with with the guard reserves uh, and active duty and then other states regionally, but also how to foster good healthy competition internally so that units are having great and encouraging competition to get better at what they do and taking pride in what they do. So those became the organizational values. And from there, you know, we said, okay, we gotta build a, a way to make those values become more embedded in the mindset. Uh, more front of mind in everything that we do. So we got after COVID kind of settled down for about four or five months, we sat down with the senior staff and we did a strategic uh, plan working group where we established some more a more refined vision and mission statement and developed lines of effort that we'd use that are that are priority lines of effort that we want to work at towards building things that, that enable achieving our vision. And the vision that was laid out by the commander is that the Washington Army National Guard's reputation and readiness is trusted and valued by our soldiers, our community, and the Army, and our elected officials, allowing us to benefit from new opportunities. So getting to Steve's point where we want to be in the red and we want to be able to shape our own destiny. Be in the black. Or excuse me, be in the black, not yes, the red. Yes, yes, that's right, be in the black. <laughs> right. We want to be in the black and shape our own destiny. Um, and our foundation for this is the, the organizational values that I just read off, the Rainier Six. So. Yeah, Jack, go ahead. Well, as say, and as a company commander, right, um, that vision document is very useful for me, right? Because if I am given an opportunity, I have time, I have a hole in my schedule, right? I can look at that and say, okay, now I know exactly what the general would want me to do with that, right? Well, okay, if it was just soldier centric, if that was first, well, I'll just give the guys a day off, right? Go take care of their family. And sometimes that might be appropriate, but I'm a soldier first. And as a commander, my job is to train this unit because I want to build a winning unit. Right. So I can take some discipline initiative with an intent and start to look at some hip pocket training, whatever opportunities we have. Right. To respect that soldier first 
role, right? right. Maybe I empower somebody else. I, I develop a leader there, right? Grab a, a uh, you know, a specialist and say, hey, I need you to do a hip pocket training on this thing. You got 10 minutes. I'm going to take the guys over here and then you're going to facilitate it, right? You're going to show me some discipline initiative with an intent, right? And if we do that all together, we will build winning units, right? But I communicate and I talk with these values a lot with the soldiers on, hey, we're soldiers first. We have a training thing that pops up, right? Task Force Saber popped up during a, a drill a little while ago, and there was some some issues that always come up from, from some sort of tasking or requirement by the governor to protect the lives and property of the citizens of Washington. There's a cost to that. But we're soldiers first. That's what we have to do, right? But we can be soldier-centric. I can make sure that I have an employer memo for those guys. I can make sure that I have whatever I can to mitigate the impact, right, with the hope that long-term that's going to build a more winning unit. And maximize planning to notify families and employers as soon as we can with Absolutely. the maximum lead time so they can prepare. And you make a good point, Jack. You know, we our mission statement has we have two high cons. We have two higher control elements, um, and, and that is we have to deliver combat ready forces to to DA to the Department of the Army to be able to do prosecute our federal mission, whatever that may be, whether it be Iraq, Afghanistan, or support and stability operations or deterrence across the globe. At the same time, we have to be prepared to answer our, our civilian authority within the state, our, our, our state commander in chief, Governor Ensley, in being able to provide teams uh, to civil authorities to protect the lives and properties of our communities. So really, sometimes you can have a, a two conflicting sets of requirements that come in and, and um, compete for soldiers' time. And I think this year with COVID has been a, a huge example of where there's been a lot of things demanded uh, a lot of the time from lots of the soldiers. But if I can, but even with this, there's still some room for maneuver and, and vagary, right? Sure. In that, okay, well, these are all listed kind of in order here, right? I'm assuming there's a prioritization, but what is big picture, the, the main priority of what we're going to, right? And I think that's what led to the decision to kind of continue to build into the strategic Well, plan. and that's a big piece, right? It's one of the things that the strat plan is attempting to do is, <clears throat> to Major Riley's point, is risk, right? Everything we choose to do and choose not to do has inherent risk. And we're not talking composite risk management like rolling over a truck. This is risk of failure, of culmination, of not being able to meet uh, one of our two high cons needs at the time we need to meet it. So everything comes with a, a give and take and balance. So what the, the, the strategy document attempts to get after is providing a baseline understanding of what we're going to prioritize and where the commanders at certain levels are going to assume risk at, at not applying energy to. And providing a little bit uh, more of a framework for understanding that risk. Mm -hmm. Right. So if the boss says, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to accept a lower level of, of training readiness than what the army wants, that comes with risk. But if he's saying it and he says, I'm going to underwrite a training plan that says maybe less aggressive, then that risk is well understood. It's, it's managed. We understand the risk that's associated with it. There's other ways we can help offset that strategic risk at the national level, and then the soldiers understand, then the leaders understand, okay, I need to dial back my training objectives a little bit because there's a different objective. In this case, it's uh, provide better stability for soldiers without overdriving. Mm -hmm. And so this really drove, drove us to come up with four lines of effort. The number one line of effort, don't let anybody tell you different, <laughs> is, is end strength, right? Bar none, we gotta get into the black with end strength. Uh, and the three sub-objectives there are, we need to recruit, we need to hold what we got and retain, and we need to provide, we need to enable both of those things to happen by increasing personnel stability, um, meaning provide enough, what we talked about, providing enough uh, you know, education and, and um, planning ability for these soldiers so they can manage their, their soldier work-life triad, guard triad. Yeah, our, that's our side of the contract that's with right. the soldier, right? Um, that's one of the things, again, another soldier I had, an exit interview, right, uh, who ultimately ended up uh, leaving with that. You know, I felt like, you guys could tell me last minute stuff popped up, but if I told you it wasn't the same respect, which of course there's a certain truth to that, right? Sure. But when we're doing it all the time, when it's 15, 20 times a year, well now we, we may be starting to get away from, from even having a contract and, and that debt's gonna damage that trust that right. General's debt says runs through all of these values. Right? We need to build trust with our core constituency, which is the MD employers and families because they get a huge vote in whether that guard member stays. That's right. The, the next line of effort is winning units. And really there's you know, five sub-objectives, but we're going to build winning units by providing predictable, predictable training schedules as best we can through operational stability. That also helps end strength, right? Increase healthy competition, develop our leaders fully, develop our soldiers to our best of our ability, and increase our collective proficiency and define what those collective proficiencies should be and what level we're willing to accept risk on. 
right? Line of effort number three is trust with partners. This really gets at some of the soldier triad piece. So we need to improve our communication with the force internally and externally. Uh, we need to look at external engagement, how we interfacing with our employers and our family members and our civilian constituencies to include uh, local legislators, right? And mayors and cities, and rotary clubs, and then internal engagement. How are we engaging with our uh, our population in bridging the full-time traditional soldier um, communications divide that may exist and the challenges with systems integration. And the last line of effort is really kind of near and dear to the G5's uh, directorate's heart is modernization and transformation. And the first one is mission command systems and infrastructure. This is really talking about being picky and choosy about the uh, new equipment we're getting when we're getting new nets and how that will impact us because all that comes with the time cost and you know how we do our stationing piece in, in the out years for that. And then the last two there are equipment, how we're gonna equip our soldiers. Uh, are we gonna make sure, you know, how do we, which units get the right OCIE and when, or who gets the latest gear and when, or who, do we have the right amount of stuff and when for our, our soldiers? And the last piece is reform, which is really a big part of CPI, uh, continual process improvement. What about us? Can we make better so that it's a better experience for our customer, uh, the traditional soldier? And what I hope people hear uh, when you hear all these put together is how they work with each other so much. Many of these lines of effort dovetail with other lines of effort um, so that, uh, you know, basically we've got uh, interlocking fields of fire in how we are uh, approaching solving these problems. Um, improved communication is going to uh, help with operational stability. It's going to help with predictability, which should help with retention. And so one of the goals of these uh, lines of effort, the development of these lines of effort was making them mutually supporting so that working on one is going to have a net effect across uh, many. Um, and we see this, you know, as you read the, the strategic plan and we're, we'll talk a little bit soon here about the, uh, the Army campaign plan, you'll be able to see how these all work together uh, to mutually support each other just like we would set up interlocking fields of fire in an ambush or a defensive position. And again, it's not that we weren't doing these things, right? We were. A lot of people were doing them naturally, right? Again, when you think about some of the things across the force, um, you know, the way, the way the G4 is really focused in on customer service, right? Um, they were already thinking about soldier welfare triad. They were thinking about these things, right? Mm -hmm. What it is is about unifying that. And, and getting us all on the same page of what that, what that looks well, like. And the right? G2 did a fantastic job with how they managed the, the be the Intel branch managers, Absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. de facto making that work. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, down at, and down at the MSCs, of course, as well, right? I know, um, you know, 81st Brigade, the way that it was capturing AARs and exit interviews, things like that. There's some novel systems that we're putting mm -hmm. in place, right? So what the strategy does, though, is let everybody in the formation know what's important to the general. What are the things that at the top, these are the things that we really want to get to. Where do I, where does he want the organization to be 10 years from now? He wants it to be a trusted organization, right? With the appropriate end strength. It's, it consists of winning units that are consistently winning. Winning meaning you can drop it in somewhere and they're going to be successful with the mission. Winning meaning that if you compare it to a like unit, they're going to be ahead of it in some way, shape, or form in the metrics that he cares about. Right. Um, and we facilitate that that line of effort for, as, as Colonel Layla said, that's really near and dear to us through the integrated management system. Right. Which sometimes we get muddied up on the terms kind of leadership, management, followership, what those things are. But management's really about that, that business piece of things. Right. So how do we take these processes that we have, how we pay people, how we process DTS, how we do ADOS packets, all these things. And are there areas where we could gain some efficiencies? Right. Um, and and it was, it's interesting, that isn't really, uh, I think prior to the G5, didn't really fall under any one shop. We have, we're incredibly fortunate in this state to have a master black belt um, in, in Ms. Chun Young, uh, which For, is- uh, Master black belt in Lean Six, Six Sigma. In Lean Six Sigma, correct, yeah. Uh, which, which is unusual. Um, there's only about three or four in, in the guard um, that are civilian employees or, or appointed folks that, that can do that. Um, but that's a joint asset, right? So how do we at the Army weaponize that and start to look at, you know, how do we look at these things to get towards these ends? And really the strat plan lays out the end states, right? Of, of where does the general want us to get to 10 years from now? So we've, we've had valid criticism uh, and it's valid because most strat plans have your ends and ways at a minimum, oftentimes your means. And ways and means meaning the things you're gonna specifically do and how you're gonna measure it and stuff like that, mm -hmm. right? Our strat plan ended up having mostly just the ends. And, and that's that was a, a conscious choice because we were in the beginnings of 
doing a reflective learning across the staff and with the CG and, and, and really getting our ends down was, it was a challenging, cooperative um, group engagement activity that took a lot of energy. And we, we at least got to the end. So we said, all right, well, we'll, we'll push off the ways and means into the Army campaign plan. So really, when we're looking at our overall strategy, traditionally, the strategic plan, the Army campaign plan, and then what is amounting to the base operations order um, or the operations order will have some of the specific means and who gets tasked. But all three of those documents together really amount to our ends, ways, and means as we allow this process to become more organic and and feel out how it's going to work because it's going to evolve over time. And oh, by the way, anybody that tells you they wrote the, the perfect strategy or the perfect you know execution <laughs> document round one, like we said earlier, you don't ever win at strategy. So it's your first guess. And some of our, our beliefs uh, or some of the ideas that we had as a group may prove to be wrong. Um, and we're willing to rewrite those portions as the emergent effects of what we think is right to prove to be false come out um, into the open. But we are really proud of the fact that we we did the document, did multiple drafts, push it out to staff sections. We had something like 95 or 100 staff revisions mm -hmm. of which we were able to incorporate, modify, or add over 85% of that input back into the document. And to include, uh, it was pushed out to MSCs as well uh, to have a chop on it, and they provided some excellent feedback. So there's been quite a bit of collaboration on this first document. Not a not a hundred percent solution, but you know, good solid B plus. And I think Colonel Daly's point reinforces too kind of what our role here is up in the G5, right? We're facilitators. It's not our strap plan. It's the general's strap plan. Um, and if we've done our job right, he looks at that document and he says, "Yep, that's, that's what I would say. That's that's yep. that's how I see this, right?" Yep. And so it's it's a process, and there's a lot of back and forth. Um, but not just that, but then also the CG it was very important for him to have that feedback from MSC and, and the primary staff, right? So buy-in is incredibly important. And, and, yeah. and buy-in, right? To make sure that, hey, does this make sense? Because because he cares about what it looks like from the individual, you know, warfighter's foxhole. So, um, you know, there's a lot of pride in that it hit the goal that the strat plan did of, of what I think the CG was looking for. Let's, uh, if we can take a second, uh, you mentioned the, the soldier in the foxhole. How does uh, that service member down there, you know, see the manifestation of a strategic plan? And uh, it goes along with our process. We have the strategic plan which define the ends, our goals. Um, we are busy producing the first round of the Army campaign plan that goes with this, that starts uh, listing out the ways and means, but in a broad sense. Like this is a campaign plan that lasts, uh, that covers several years. And then finally, this uh, the specific uh, ways we're or sorry ways and means um, that we're going to be exercising in a given year starts showing up in the op order, the, what we call the base op order, that uh, that covers what we're going to do in a fiscal year. Um, what we uh, uh, you know had as multiple op orders in the past, we're going to try having one base order. This is where you start seeing the specific focus on a strategic uh, line of effort, or actually realistically several lines of effort um, for a given year. Um, this is where the MSCs and the battalions, the companies, the individual soldiers will start feeling the effects of the strategic plan. And let's be perfectly candid about it. Our, our first customer is the CG, right? We're making sure that we're, we're facilitating the plan that he has. Our second is, is the formation as a whole, right? And when I talk with my soldiers about the strap plan and I talk with other soldiers, um, they, generally speaking, I hear that they really like what's laid out there. They like the respect to the welfare triad, right? They like the goals that we're going towards, but there's a certain amount of skepticism. There's a certain amount of, I've, I've heard pretty words before, right? <laughs> like, um, I, in fact, I hear them a lot. I hear them every time a commander rotates all this, well, what are you, you going to do? And when am I going to see this, right? And that is where there is a certain amount of trust that's required and a certain amount of faith that, hey, these things don't happen overnight. There's a lot of big changes uh, going through in, in kind of how we do some of these things. And it's going to take some time for that to really take root. It's not always operationalized through us either. Uh, Major Riley brought up the uh, the base operations order, right? That kind of falls entirely under the G3 side of the house, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there are things that I have to do as a company commander. I have a piece of this fight, right? I have to look at my own training calendar and say, am I in line with the lines of effort and with the values, right? And I have to weigh that against what, what I might think is important, right? Because at the end of the day, 
that's where the higher command comes from. And what's important there is we're going to actually assess ourselves over the years and say, uh, is the result we're aiming for and the methods we're using producing the result that we want? Because sometimes it doesn't work the way you think. For example, for one unit, a high op tempo with lots of training may be exactly what that unit needs to increase retention. For other units, it may be the opposite. It may drive the soldiers away. So there's a there's a give and take and an understanding at each unit that there might be some nuances and some differences. But with this construct, you have leaders that can say, all right, I know that the boss wants to re retain soldiers. So I need to look at my actions and go, is it doing that or is it hurting that? All right, back over to you, Sarah. How are you guys measuring this? So what are your measures of effectiveness? What are your measures of performance? So, I mean, we've talked about a few of them, the main one being the end strength, because obviously the number is the most important, but what are the other insights that you guys are receiving back to see how to form and shape the plan in the future? Because obviously a strategic plan is a living document. It's not something that exists and then happens. So how are we using these measures and then affecting that into how the plan evolves over time? That's a great question, Sarah. And um, fun thing about metrics, a little bit of, little bit of baseline here, a metric on metrics, I guess. Um, metrics can be good or bad. In the traditional doctrinal setting, we hear mops and mows. A measure of performance is how often did you do something? A measure of effectiveness is did you do when you did something, did it lead to the effect you wanted? So I run five miles every day, but my my APFT score time doesn't decrease. So yeah, you're running miles, but that may not be um, translating into a faster runtime. However, if I add in sprints, to my routine and I'm dropping, if my goal is to decrease my runtime for the ACFT or the APFT, then suddenly I'm effective at my goal. So in, this, in the civilian sector, you know, they look at metrics as leading and lagging and they use something called SMART, which is specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time targeted or time bound. Meaning, are you building a metric that actually is gonna help you define and understand if you're moving down the right path towards the goal you want? And there's leading and lagging metrics. A lagging metric is, and I'll give you an example with strength. We're at say 5,300 and we wanna be at 5,400. I'm just making up a number here, right? The lagging metric is we're at 5,300. That's the, the, the end of the game score. You can't affect it anymore. The leading metric is maybe five or 10 metrics that are indicators that a soldier may not want to stay in. For example, amount of time that they do um, uh, in training days, time away from their family, amount of pay discrepancies we have, about amount of, of, of food being late, chow being late, inability to go to schools, et cetera, et cetera. So those leading metrics are the really challenging ones to kind of, kind of pull out of, of a particular way. So every way and line of effort we have, we are building a smart metric for a lagging metric and trying to identify some leading metrics. And some of this is a bit, bit art here where you, you, you take a stab at it with science and you say, all right, we let it go for a few months. And you know what? We grabbed the wrong metric. This metric really isn't indicating that we're improving down a certain way the way we want. We, we take a guess at it, right? But you, you look at things like, hey, the number of yards you gain on a football field is correlated to score, but there's gonna be times that it's not, right? Well, it, just watch Moneyball. Moneyball. Moneyball is an ex a great example for anybody who wants to understand how statistical analysis can completely change the but I'm going to call it the art, right? Mm -hmm. There is a bunch of, of, of uh, old scouts that said, well, you can hear the sound of the bat. You can see the form of the swing. And this guy has gusto, right? You're like, cool. What's his data? And you can build a winning team with, they're not all home run hitters because I've taken a bunch of, of, of stats that you normally don't care about, but I've combined them in such a way that the, the entire team wins because of that. Moneyball is a, trend, uh, is a fantastic uh, a movie. And it's one they also teach in uh, many of the, the Army National Guard and Army Guard um, business transformation courses or, or DA transformation courses as a way to change your frame of thinking from, uh, I've got a gut feeling, which is important. Your gut feelings matter. Um, but also, what does my data show and how can I use this data to change a behavior in a particular way? And there are times when a, when a leader is only going to have a gut feeling to go on, right? right. I mean, there, there are times in mobilization, deployment, things like that, that that's what you got and that's what you got to go with. But that's not our day-to-day -day business operations, right? I mean, we have 
lead time. We have time to analyze these things and look at these things. Right? Well, and I want to uh, come back to something we talked about earlier when we were talking about using civilian business, uh, business transformation techniques mm -hmm. and CPI techniques. Um, there's a great correlation between recruiting and sales management in the civilian world. Um, plenty of lagging uh, metrics in recruiting. How many people did I recruit this quarter? Um, did I meet my mission? But the civilian world has this thing called the, uh, the sales funnel or the sales pipeline. And it's a statistical model. It says if I have a certain number of leads, so you know potential recruits at the top, some of them are going to filter out uh, self-selectively. They're just going to choose not to play. They're going to choose not to buy your product. Some, it's going to turn out, well, you know what? The price is too high. We talked about it. We got them pretty far, but eh, they're just not going to buy. Mm -hmm. Some pretty much predictable percentage of the people who even looked at your product at the top are going to buy it at the bottom. You can actually predict with a leading metric in sales how much sales you're going to achieve based on how many leads you have at the beginning. Likewise, in recruiting, we could apply that model and say, you know, if I can get the message out to uh, a thousand people, I can pretty much predict that at least 10 of them are going to sign up. That's that's fascinating, Steve, because if you go to the recruiter pre-command course, they basically have, and I can't remember the formula, but it was mm -hmm. you do X amount of phone calls, cold calls, X amount of visits and X amount of interviews per week. Yep. And if you achieve those numbers, statistically, you'll meet X mission every time. Yep. And it was methodical. It was yes. grinding. It was it was sometimes not enjoyable, oftentimes yes. not enjoyable, but the numbers yes. generally produce that result. It's absolutely, you know, what the, the poker players call it, the, you know, they're going to grind it out. And uh, sales is like that. And that's a model that we can adopt with all the metrics that come with that model. We can adopt that into the army world. So here's us taking um, civilian uh, you know, metrics and, and ways of doing business, bringing them into the army and applying the same thing. Um, the reverse happens all the time. Like I bring the operations process to all the software development shops that I work in to try to provide a better framework for planning and executing projects. Uh, this is one of the great parts about being an M-Day guardsman is the fact that I get to uh, borrow the best practices from both worlds and apply them to each other to make uh, all aspects of my, my work life better. Um, and I, everybody listening to this call, I encourage you to do that. Um, bring what you have from your civilian experience, mm -hmm. the ways you do business in your civilian jobs, bring them to us, teach us how to apply that to uh, making the Washington Army National Guard a better place um, by adopting these best practices, by adopting the metrics you use uh, on your shop floor or in your consulting business. Um, you know, teach us how that works so that we can bring it here and make our organization here better. Yeah, and and uh, case in point, you know, when we look at the successes that the G1 and RRB have had, right? I mean, they've had that from doing these kinds of approaches, right? So the G5, they didn't need a G5 for that, right? Um, what they, but what we can do is take some of those things and help apply them to other problems, right? And say, yes. hey, here's a successful model, right? Here's something Colonel Durda and, and Major Beecroft were able to come up with, right? And now let's apply that over some of these other problems, right? Yes. Um, as well as continue our research out there. But in answer to your specific question, uh, Sarah, on kind of what are the metrics we look at, well, clearly end strength is one of the key metrics that uh, General Dent's looking at right now. And, and the way we express that is, what's our force structure that we're kind of authorized and how many people do we actually have, right? And we get a percentage from that and some specific numbers. Um, we have some leading metrics that we believe are related to that. Right. So you, you see we're doing a process improvement project. We're trying to look at pay, for example. Right. Because there is data to suggest that there is a correlation between pay issues when they happen and they're going to happen in any organization. Right. But there's there's a connection between that and people who may ultimately choose to leave the formation. Hope that answers your question, sir. And that's just an example. That's not all the metrics, obviously. Yeah, we have a ton of them. Uh, we're actually facilitating the performance management committee that has all the G deputies in their That's important. We do have a committee that's working on specifically metrics and, and database a record to make sure we're providing consistent right. data. Because at the end like of the day, a hundred candidate metrics, right? Yeah. Now that we're yeah. looking at, like over a hundred. Because yeah. at the end of the day, there's four people in this shop. There's two full timers and two and two MA folks, right? right. So we, we can't do any of this stuff on our own. 
right? Um, there's pretty much everything we've talked about. There's a committee behind it. Nor right? would we want to do it by ourselves. No. We use a biased product. We would have so much bias from our own perspective and, you know, that, that, hey, I had this and it was successful. So therefore, this must be successful everywhere else. And that's not how these things work, right? So the fact that we have the performance management committee that's made primarily the G staff deputies, the CPI committee that's built of successful green belts from across the formation, right? The strategic planning committee that has representation from a variety of MSCs and, and primary staffs, organizational assessment, those folks. So, so we do a lot of meetings, right? We do a lot of facilitation, right? Very much um, like the, the civilian world yeah, in that respect. But so, um, and, and as the campaign plan comes out, Sarah, there's going to be more specific metrics that we're looking at, right, for each one of these things. We're still weighing those and trying to make sure that they're appropriate, that they're reliable, as in they're showing us the same thing over and over again and reproducible, right? Mm -hmm. um, so but we should have a more concrete kind of full scorecards uh, over the, as the campaign plan comes together. All right. I'm going to cut you guys off. <laughs> um, you have five minutes left before I have to go. And this is already a pretty substantial uh, conversation and such good information. But I just wanted to give you uh, five minutes to sort of close out with anything you guys want to make sure you need to say. And then um, any additional information, obviously anyone can find in the strategic plan, which will be linked in the show notes. Excellent. So thanks again for the opportunity. But uh, what we'd like to talk about here is kind of the way ahead. We're working on the ways and means and the campaign plan. In front of me is a bunch of colored ways that we have worked with the staff and some of the units to say, well, these are approaches we could potentially use to get after a line of effort. That's going to be put together under a further product this weekend and then go before the uh, Army Campaign Plan Committee for some initial staffing. And is a big, large chunk of where the Army Campaign Plan will kind of build. The campaign plan will be a five-year look, and every year we're going to add a year to this thing, so it'll be a five plus one. And it should give people a good understanding to include a sustainable readiness model met, um, programming for units in there as well, so you can say, okay, well, this is kind of roughly where my unit needs to be three years down the road, so you have an understanding of what to shoot for. Uh, we're very excited about this product when it comes out, and there's got a lot, there has to be a lot more coordination before we're done, but it's moving down in the right, uh, right direction. We did put out a process improvement nomination QR code form informally. We're going to keep pushing it. This is a way for you to nominate processes that you believe need to be looked at or reviewed. We're currently doing one for pay. We're probably going to be doing one for um, uh, help tickets for G6. There's probably going to be one for uh, orders and, and ADOS packets as examples. But this is where we employ green belts and black belts to surge on an issue, determine how the process currently works, give better understanding to the for, to the leadership of how the process works and then possibly divine ways to make the process completely re-engineered or more efficient in its current way. We offer Greenbelt training in our collaboration with Ms. Young. Uh, this is a $5,000 course on the outside. We currently have about 120 Greenbelts trained, but in order to complete your Greenbelt training, you need to do a project. It's those projects that are going to help us drive our continual process improvement. So come get a $5,000 certificate uh, rating, come meet uh, Captain Jack Meeker is in charge of that, um, work with Miss Young, and then do a project for us to make the organization better. Uh, go ahead. And if I can, the goal for the CG and the Chief of Staff is to have about 10 of those really high-level projects going at any given time. We've got about three. We're building to it. But that does not preclude a unit from doing their own. Right. That's so right. you can come in and do the training and you can say, hey, I've got one that we're going to work on here. That's fine. Right. But we want to make sure that we're also we have visibility on that so we can take your lessons learned and apply it elsewhere. But then also that we've got some that have this really this push behind from the chief of staff from the CG on, hey, this is something that's important. To me. We would love units to be taking the training they have from process improvement and looking at things from their foxhole and fixing everything from the ground up. Uh, that's really where the guard has its largest strength. And the last piece is the G5 is open for business. Um, we are a organization that likes to deal with complex, ill-structured problems, meaning you've been handed something that you're quite not sure what it is or how to approach it and help us uh, kind of mentally visualize it for you and map it out. Our door is always open. We enjoy hearing from any level of the field because it helps us get one more data point and we are here for you, whether you need an OPT to help uh, work through an operational issue or you need a working group to deal with something that's a little more squishy. Um, the G5 is open for business. Or even- Do you guys have a group mailbox? Sorry. We do. We do. And it's actually, it's in the strap plan on the very last page. I'll, uh, I'll read it out here as well. 
Um, okay. And then I'll also put just that email address in the show notes for anyone who might be interested in the green belt uh, planning. Outstanding. But it's basically the same format as all the other kind of institutional mailing uh, lists. So it's ng.wa.warn.list.g5.mail.mil. So I say again, November Golf dot whiskey alpha dot whiskey alpha alpha romeo november golf dot lima india sierra tango dot golf the number five at mail dot mail did i do that right yeah okay i mean thank you captain maker for that <laughs> for the basic phonetic alphabet skills uh, oh hey really into the basics sir <laughs> yeah really into the basics i uh, do want to say the, the door is not open just for problem solving but if you just want to learn about stuff yes um learn about what army design is and how you can apply it uh both in your unit and in your civilian job uh it's a, a technique that i use all the time in my uh in my civilian job to s help solve problems uh come ask us questions uh love to help any way we can yes, sir yeah we're, we're upstairs in building one right um so if you get in there's a phone down there you can call and, and we, we can let you in or you can just swing by if you can get into the building or you can email us uh, absolutely yep well, Sarah, that has been entertaining. Back over to you. Awesome. Well, no, uh, thank you guys you for your very thorough answers uh, for all of the questions. And um, I am excited to get this out. And